Praise God. Let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 to 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God, for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ, and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Right, so the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We do not war according to the flesh. Right, we do not war according to the flesh. Right, let's turn to another scripture here. John chapter 18, and we're going to read from 3 to 13. Curious incident that happened in the life of Christ just before he was crucified. John 18, 3 to 13. Three. Then Judas, having received a detachment of troops and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, came there with lanterns, torches, and weapons. Yeshua, therefore, knowing all things that would come upon him, went forward and said to them, Whom are you seeking? They answered him, Yeshua of Nazareth. He answered them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, also stood with them. Now when he said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Then he asked them again, Whom are you seeking? And they said, Yeshua of Nazareth. He answered, I have told you that I am he. Therefore, if you seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost none. Then Simon Peter, this is the important part, Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Yeshua said to Peter, Put your sword into the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup which my father has given me? Then the detachment of troops and the captains and the officers of the Jews arrested him. They led him away. We need to mention there that what happened is he cut off the ear and the Lord took up the ear and healed the man. Okay, that's really important. Let's just go to Romans 12, 19 and 20. 19 and 20. I'll take it from verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. Now, the title of this message might seem paradoxical, all right? But that's the very point. We've been learning in the Bible study about the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And as I've been saying so often, people associate the fruit of the Holy Spirit with weakness, in a sense, being weak. And you see, the gifts of the Holy Spirit is where all the power is. But for your information, what I've been discovering is more and more that great power lies in the fruit. Great power lies in the fruit of the Holy Spirit, but we have to understand them correctly. I mean, we have to understand them correctly. And the title of this message is Weaponizing the Fruit of the Spirit. How's that? Weaponizing the Fruit of the Spirit. We've got to understand that, how powerful a weapon in this spiritual warfare the fruit of the Spirit are. 
I'm not saying that the gifts are not powerful. They are very much so. But you see, we read those scriptures about the power that's available to fight the spiritual warfare, and we associate it with the tongue and with faith, and that's also very important, and prayer and intercession. However, if we look at the Bible very carefully, we find out that the fruit of the Spirit in fighting this war are extremely, extremely powerful. And there are a lot of examples of it throughout the Bible. But you see, we've got to understand what the fruit actually are. And if we understand them, then we can use them. Amen? Just think about that. Using the fruit of the Spirit as a weapon. I mean, it sounds absurd. Somebody attacks you, take up an apple and throw it at them. <laughs> Hit somebody over there with a banana. And I mean, really. But if you look at the Bible, you'll see that when God wages spiritual warfare, he does it in a way through humans that boggles the mind. It's not the way you and I would expect. I'll give you a few examples. One of them is this occasion where the enemies of Israel are coming against them and God gives the leaders instruction to send the singers ahead of the army, to send the orchestra, as it were, ahead of the army. Does that make sense in the natural? In some occasions it does. I remember when I eventually pitched up in Bulawayo, they had an institution known as the BPO. The BPO was the Bulawayo Philharmonic Orchestra. I'm sure in days past they achieved great heights of musical excellence. But by the time I got there, the nation was falling apart. A lot of the erstwhile musicians had fled, and what was left was basically a motley crew. Now, I can understand sending a motley crew like that ahead of the army for two reasons. <laughs> for a start, if the enemy sent most of the musicians onto greener pastures, mankind would have ever been grateful. <laughs> The other thing is that the god-awful sound that they made would have chastened any civilized Philistine to the other side of Africa. I'm not being very gracious, but can I just say something? The reason I didn't join them, I didn't offer my services, is because I thought it sounds bad enough as it is without me bringing my trumpet and playing flat for them. Can you see? But anyway, I'm just joking. The point is it's not natural to send an orchestra ahead. But that's what God did. And what happened? God sent angels that destroyed the enemy. And all the army had to do, I mean, this is the kind of fighting I love to do. The only fighting they had to do was go and pick up the spoils. Isn't that wonderful? You see, spiritual warfare is completely different from warfare in our brains. We've got to grasp it. The fruit of the Spirit are very powerful weapons, if we understand them correctly. Another great example of the fruit of the Spirit being used to win a war, is in Israel's early history, there was an occasion where they were under attack, and Moses, an elderly man, he sent Joshua down as the commander, and there's this big warfare waging. But Moses went up onto the mountain overlooking it and sat down. He sat down. And then, as we know, he raised his hands like this. Now, this is what happened. When he raised his hands, the battle turned in favor of Israel. When he got tired and his hands went down, the battle turned the other way. All right? Eventually, he got Caleb and her to hold his hands up, and they won the battle. Now, 
What is that? Raising your hands to God. Can I tell you, that is a powerful fruit of the Holy Spirit, which, if you can understand it, is meekness. Humility. Alright? By Moses being humble before God, it released God to win the battle. Do you see that? By Moses being humble before God, release God to win the battle. That's the key to the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? When you and I exercise the fruit of the Holy Spirit, we release God to fight the war. Amen? Everybody grasps this. I thought of an analogy the other day which comes from the so-called Rhodesian Civil War. It wasn't civil, it was actually international. And it wasn't civil in that, it was quite brutal. But anyway, in this war there was a battle, you can call it that, known as the Chamoya Raid. In the Chamoya Raid, a whole training camp of uh, insurgents was sent to glory. But this is how it happened. The Rhodesian army put operatives on a hill next to the camp, secretly of course, covert operation. These are the reckies, if you can call them that, overlooking this whole camp as a vast camp in Mozambique. And their job was to watch the troop movements, etc., etc., and to wait for the right moment. Okay? So they stuck up on this, as we used to call it, a gormo, looking down. They had to be very careful not to be detected, because they were totally outnumbered. Now, the big point I'm trying to make is, at the right moment, what did they do? Did they take their little FNs, the two of them, and go down the mountain and take this whole battalion on? That would have been sheer what? Stupidity. No matter how good you are, you're going to be outnumbered, outgunned, and ultimately destroyed. But you see, that wasn't their job. You see, Their job was to observe, and then at the right moment, call in the hunters, the Air Force. And the pilots gave them this instruction. They said, we're coming in, this is what you must do. Lie on your back, keep your eyes open, and keep your mouth open. What sort of instruction is that? That's a good way to fight it away. On your back, mouth open and your eyes open. I mean, I love to fight like that. The reason they had to keep their eyes open, because these planes came so fast they would have missed it otherwise. And the reason they had to keep their mouth open was because when that explosion went off, oh my soul, the pressure just took all the air out. So can you see? It was a strategic plan. But after that, whole field totally and utterly decimated. Horrific. But anyway, my point is this. Can you see? They, in a sense, acted passively, so to speak, and the Air Force could do what they could do. If they'd gone down and got involved, the Air Force couldn't have done it because they'd have killed their own people. Do you see that? Now, I know it's a strange association, but just think about it like this. You and I are involved with spiritual warfare. We come across a situation, whatever it is, and you see, we've got a choice. Do we try and, as we normally do as humans, try and sort it out ourselves? Can you see? That we would think is the right thing to do. When you're in trouble, sort it out yourself. Be a man, so to speak. Now, we're not saying that you and I shouldn't be involved every now and then. It depends on the Holy Spirit. But what's the key to all of this? Instead of getting involved in the human flesh and trying to deal with people, step back and let God deal with the situation. Can you see that? That is the power of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It releases God. Amen? 
it releases God. And God can fight battles, spiritual battles, much more effectively than you and I. When we try and operate in the flesh, and we get out of the spirit, we don't operate in the fruit of the spirit, we mess things up. Amen? Now let me give you the example of Christ. You see, I've often read that story about Malchus having his ear cut off. And I thought, why on earth does God put this in the Bible? Have you ever thought that? I mean, here is the God of the universe going to the cross. I mean, this is a dramatic moment. He's going to save all of earth. It's really an important moment in history. The moment in history. And here God tells us about this servant that gets his ear cut off. But let's enter into the scene. Please understand what's going on behind the scenes. This is so important. When you are operating in the fruit of the Spirit, we need to discern what's actually happening behind the scenes. That person that is so angry with you and I. Not really then. Did you know that? And if you get angry back with them, you don't operate in what the Bible describes as kindness and goodness, you and I aggravate the situation. But if we operate in the right spirit, God is able to undertake. So anyway, here we have it. The Lord has just been apprehended. He spent the whole night in prayer. He's not in a good mood. Well, he's not really happy, but this is going to happen. He knows it. So here he is. It's a high moment. I mean, really, this is really intense. They're coming to take him, and all hell, as it was, about to break loose. Now, here's Peter, right, and he's got his sword. We know what Peter said earlier. They won't take you. I'll take care of you, right? And the Lord said, no, you won't. But anyway, Peter is full of himself. He's going to do it. Now, you see, at this key moment, they're just about to take him. Peter takes action. He obviously tried to strike Malchus on the head, split his brain. Malchus, fortunately, fainted to the left, and off goes his ear. What's going through Malchus's brain? I know this is the turning point in history, but as far as Malchus is concerned, what is he thinking? Oh no, I'm going to look like a freak. My beloved sweetheart Jemima, she won't be able to whisper sweet nothings into my ear because there's sweet nothing to whisper sweet nothings into. You understand? What I'm saying is Malchus is not too happy about this whole thing. And if you're not too happy, what's the natural reaction? You took off my ear, I'm going to take off your head. You understand? And once he goes for Peter's head, then what happens? All the other disciples, right, it's a free for all. That thing could have blown up into a complete fracas, if you can call it that. That's the devil's nature, did you know that? That's how he operates. He sets up, as you might call it, a powder keg, and then he just has to find a spark. That's what he's done throughout history. Did you know that? Every occasion has been set up, and then just one little incident, and it all blows up. Imagine if that had happened. The soldiers would have had taken the opportunity maybe to destroy the Lord right there and then. The high priest would be so happy they wouldn't have to have crucified and gone through this whole process. Problem solved. The devil can rub his hands and say, well, I've got rid of the Son of God. All because of what? A situation that's exploded, right? Now let me just say something. What is the Lord's response in that situation? Do you know what he operated in? The fruit of goodness. 
Alright? As we learnt, what is the fruit of goodness? You do something of good in every situation. You improve people's lot in every situation. Benefit others. Now just think about it. The Lord's about to be crucified as he knows it. As I said, there's a very traumatic event. And here this man loses an ear. What does he do? I know what I would have done. Tough tacky for you, boy. I'm going to the cross. I don't care about your ear. You understand? Sort of thing. But not the Lord. Not the Lord. Despite the circumstance, he realized this man's in trouble. And yes, he did use a gift of healing. The two work together. Fruit and the gifts work together, if you understand it. But you see, his heart was, shame, man. This man hasn't got an ear. You better help the man. Can you just imagine? He picks up the ear. Everybody's watching. What's going to happen now? Dust it off. <laughs> I can tell you, this Malchus must have been rather conflicted when he went home. He has the enemy fixing my ear. <laughs> can you see how that one act of kindness diffused the whole situation and the process of God could continue? Do you see that? That's why the Lord said, when your enemy gets upset with you, put coals on his head. It speaks about doing something so good for the person that they feel convicted. I can't, I can't carry on with my action. You, you do something good for them and they feel convicted. You understand? It's like a burglar comes into the house with a weapon. He wants to rob you and do all this kind of destruction. And you say, just hold on, before you carry on, would you like a cup of coffee? No, I'm not recommending that. That's the answer to the problem. But you understand, that's the idea. You see, acting in kindness diffuses the whole situation. Right? It's a powerful, powerful weapon that releases the presence of God. Amen? We had a situation here. We were sitting here having church unmolested at this stage. There was a time when we were not allowed to do that. Did you know that? Just to give you a bit of history for those who don't know, we used to have our services up in the facility up there. It's ideal for the purpose, by the way. And then, oh, shame, this is the greatest curse on humanity. Some gentleman from this complex went to have a swim on a Sunday morning. And guess what? His bathe in the pool was disturbed by the fact that some holy rollers were holding a service in the facility. Isn't that terrible? Isn't that shocking? How can a person possibly swim while somebody's having a service? We should have said, hold on, so let's baptize you while we're about it. <laughs> anyway, this raised a big furore, oh my soul, and they had meetings and somebody had to be summoned and all this trash. The basic story was, you have to get out of here. Well, we had already planned to move down to the Dutch Reformed Church and to operate in their chapel. They very kindly said, you can do it. You see, because they didn't use the chapel during their service. But unfortunately, it was one week in between. So, we um, had a service here. We had a service here. According to some people, this service was a nuisance. Do you know that? And they organized with their lawyers to sue us for 20,000 rand for causing a nuisance. How's that? It's wonderful, isn't it? A nuisance. Anyway, the long story short. Now, at that stage, in my heart, what did I want to do? Well, I do have a law degree. I'm actually technically an advocate. 
An advocate gets a silly letter like this, which he didn't even get, by the way. They didn't have the guts to send it to me. I got it through somebody else, and it wasn't even signed. Let me tell you, for any lawyer, that sort of insult is, let me go for you, boys. Can you see? So in the natural, that's what I thought. Well, look, you know, let's not sit down and let this happen. We're going to take this on. But I had the great intelligence to phone Claude. And Claude said, listen, it's not going to help. You understand? Because, you know, when you get involved, as I know very well, involved with the legal system, one thing leads to another, and it's just money. At the end of the day, it's just money. And it's unnecessary. So Claude's advice was just apologize, say, sorry, we are moving out, and uh, leave it at that. Which is what we did. Which is what we did. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that, thanks to Claude, I must be honest, we operated with the right spirit, okay? Meekness, if you want to call it that. Not wanting to push ourselves, not wanting to make an issue. Of course, we're on the side of God after all. You understand? That's the mentality the devil wants you and I to have. We are on the side of God, but God fights the battles. Now, the story within the story is that in the background to all of this, our then next door neighbor, I think he was leading the charge in all of this because of his religious background, etc., etc. Plus, he wasn't too happy with us. More specifically, his wife wasn't too happy with us. And the reason she wasn't too happy with us is because Timothy, they used to play a little boy's cricket chase, and very often his ball would go over there. If the ball went over that way, people just kindly throw it back. But when the balls went there, that was the end of it. So Tim was rather aggravated with this crowd, you see. And he took the occasion, when there was a stepladder there, to take a nice clod of God's earth and throw it in that direction, you see. <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, this clod happened to land in this lady's special lounge. The one where husband take your shoes off if you come in here. No, nope. you understand? A setup made in heaven. We had a very irate neighbor knocking on our door, you understand? So what I'm trying to say is the vibe wasn't too good to start off with. Hence, we felt like we were persona non grata in this home. You understand? So that was the situation. Oh yeah, they were summons to go and sort it out. Okay. But what I'm trying to say is that the relationship between us and them wasn't healthy. Does everybody get that? But to be honest, we didn't let it bug us. We just carried on as we do, smiling, waving, whatever. To this day, I don't know what actually happened. I really don't. No, but listen, this is the beautiful part about it. I don't know what happened. I don't know what caused this turn. But let me just say this. Because we had the right attitude, it released God to do it. Do you understand? And I'll never forget, we're having Christmas here, and we're having some people. The next door neighbor came over to me and gave me a big hug. A big hug. I was so stunned, I almost fell over. He said how happy he was because his family was with him and he wished us the Christmas. So I thought, well, maybe he's had a bit too much to drink. And you know what happens <laughs> when, when people drink too much, they become very friendly. I don't know if you discovered that. In the army, I found he didn't want to kill somebody, but in the pub, oh, brother, this sort of thing. But what happened is they were responsible for this whole facility and we wanted to hire the facility for 
I think it was that marriage thing we had there. But anyway, so I went to him and said, look, you know, we need to um, hire the facility and uh, can you just tell me how much it is? Do you know what he said? Do you know what he said? We don't charge the church anything. So I said, I thought, my soul, my soul. It gets even better or worse. The day comes, he said, listen, I've got a farm, a small farm out there. He often used to go for the weekends to his family farm that was divided up. Won't you come with me? Guess what? Guess what? Took me there. We had a wonderful time. He drove me around to all the animals. Completely different approach. Completely different approach. His mother was very ill. Very ill. And um, his father was fit and healthy, driving around on his uh, quad bike. Quad bike. Healthy as anything, running the farm on his quad bike. I met all the family and I just said, can I pray for the mother? They all said, a very religious crowd. They said, yes. She's in that room. You go and do it on your own, by the way. I went into the room, took her hand, I prayed the prayer of faith over her. Went on my way. Do you know that she survived? She recovered? She recovered? She died just the other day, but she was very old, with COVID, whatever. But she got well. I actually prayed for the wrong person. Do you know why? Because a few months later, knock on the door and he came and said, I've got the bad news, my father just passed away. Okay, the man was pretty old, so it wasn't a great tragedy, but still. And I was able, listen to this, I was able to sit him down and I prayed for him as a brother. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? But it's a miracle, let me tell you. But how did that miracle take place? The enemy wanted to cause division and enmity, you understand, and anger and resentment and just bad vibes. That's his stock in trade. Can you see? What is the weapon to use against that? The gifts of the Holy Spirit. God will strike you dead. If you treat me like that. <laughs> oh, I'd love to use a gift like that. That's why God won't give it to me, you understand? <laughs> no, but you understand. The fruit of the Spirit became a very powerful weapon. Amen? Can you see how God's ways are not our ways? They are not our ways. And just think of the greatest example, obviously of them all, Christ on the cross. How did he win the world back to his father? How did he change the course of history throughout the universe, so to speak? Did he do it? Because this is what the Bible says. On the cross he had the choice. He could have called down ten legions of angels. Can you understand? And basically he said, listen, enough is enough. This cross is getting a bit uncomfortable. You people are in the wrong. God send them. God would have sent them. Wiped them all out. Could have done that. Could he not? The Bible said he could. But what was the choice? Not my will, but yours. That's meekness, you see. I've got the power, but I choose not to use it. Can you see that? And with that fruit of the Spirit, if you want to call it, he saved humanity. Isn't that an awesome thought? Isn't that not an awesome thought? Can you see our thinking's got to change? These fruit of the Spirit are not just mamby-pamby, 
ways we should behave to be goody two-shoes, whatever you want to call it. That's not it. These fruit of the Holy Spirit, if we understand them correctly, and we've got the courage, because it's not easy, we've got the courage to develop them in our hearts and in our lives, so that we don't act in the fruit of the Spirit. We become the fruit of the Spirit. We walk in the Spirit, as the Bible says. Do you understand? You and I become extremely powerful people. We become invincible. And then, of course, add to that a proper understanding of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can you see? We become like he did on this earth, which is exactly what he wants us to be. Amen? Exactly what he wants us to be. Father God, I just pray that we have our eyes open to realize how powerful these fruit of your Holy Spirit are. The greatest, of course, being love, which we know never fails. We thank you, Lord, that we have this available to us, an overcoming power within us that never fails. I pray that as your people, we will tap into that power and exercise it. The great fruit of faithfulness, Lord. When we prove ourselves faithful, God himself comes to our help. We think of Ruth. She was faithful to Naomi. She stuck with her. She was faithful. That faithfulness was tested when the chips were down. But it was tested. And she came through the right way up. And because of that, this rank outsider, as it were, became part of the lineage of Christ. She became the great-grandmother to David, King David. All because of this one fruit of the Spirit operating in her life, faithfulness. Oh Lord, open our eyes, I pray, that we might rise up and become these majestic creatures that you want us to be, walking on this earth. Not groveling in the dust, but walking strong and powerful in your mighty name. Amen.